Hello and welcome to this edition of our SkyTrain podcast series. Thanks for tuning in. But before we get to it, I'd like to share a quick word about us and SkyTrain. Silicon Ali is Berlin's innovation network, connecting the hottest startup ecosystem in Europe to the rest of the world through events, content, and funding. And SkyTrain is Silicon Ali's transatlantic network of LPs, fund managers, and angels with a specific focus on helping U.S. investors access the German market. Through regular events, knowledge exchange, and content, we're giving LPs and co-investors access to a booming market which consistently outreturns U.S. venture capital, and we're making it easier for the next generation of Berlin-based fund managers to get started. So if you're an LP, a GP, angel, or a future investor, be sure to check out our upcoming SkyTrain events happening in the U.S., Berlin, and online, plus our content series that is demystifying the process of investing in Germany. Visit siliconali.com skytrain to find out more. And for more information on Silicon Ali, you can find us on social media and online at siliconali.com. That's silicon, A-double-L-double-E. Now, on with the show. Welcome, everyone, to this great discussion today. We are joined by two amazing people. Aside from myself, Travis Todd, co-founder of Silicon Ali, we have uh, we liked him so much in the last podcast. We invited him back to be a permanent co-host. We have Mark Pencala of Altitude, who's be, who'll be joining us and leading this interview as my co-host. I'll, I'll turn it up, turn the mic over to him in just a second. And we have Chris Tapsronis of Ion Pacific, who will tell you lots more about himself in just a minute. So thank you for joining on this amazing discussion about liquidity and secondaries. And I'll turn it over to Mark to take away the interview. Thank you very much, Travis. And it's a pleasure on my end. So let's get started right away to use the time uh, with caution. Chris Ups, thank you very much for taking time. It's, it's my great pleasure to, to host you today. So I would love to start with you. Tell us about yourself, where you're coming from, how did you get to the point where you are today? And more important, what are you doing with Iron Pacific? Fantastic, Mark and Travis. Thanks very much and very nice to meet everyone. Thanks for having me here today. I'm Christoph Sronis. I'm a partner um, here at Ion Pacific. I'm originally from Riga, Latvia. I started my career as an analyst on the foreign exchange trading side and then moved on to do my master's degree in finance in Peking University in China, of all places, and then sort of restarted my trend, uh, career in Hong Kong in investment and merchant banking. That was almost 10 years ago. And then in 2015, I had the opportunity to join a wonderful founding team of Iron Pacific, and I've been there ever since. And we focus on providing liquidity to the venture ecosystem, which means we are a structured uh, secondary investor. We're a global investor. So our portfolio spans Southeast Asia, Israel, Europe, United States, and we currently have three offices. Um, and we generally work with other investors, venture capital investors, as well as founders and provide various types of liquidity through our secondary instruments. Happy to, you know, go into that as as, as much detail as necessary. Perfect. So within the past decade, being a venture capital, um, I've not seen a market like this. And if you speak to anyone, everybody's very pessimistic. Things are going down, volumes going down. Nobody's raising funds, neither venture capital nor startups. But there's one particular aspect, the fillet of the venture capital market, which I'm seeing right now, which is the secondary market. So if I would say there's any 
hot part of the market. For me, it's a secondary market at the moment. Looking at 2023, people are expecting that 140 billion are going into the secondary space. Could you just tell us how you think that the market evolved and where we are today and what is going to happen in 2023 and beyond that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think taking a little step back, looking at the private markets and public, uh, sorry, private equity secondaries in general, that asset class started back in the in the 80s when VCFA raised their first six million dollar secondary fund, and then over you know 1990, Adam Street started, and over over the period of 90s and early 2000s, we started seeing more and more private equity deals uh, in the secondary space in mature companies uh, with a little bit of leverage or with a lot of leverage. LP secondary deals came first. Uh, and then in 90s and 2000s, we saw tail end fund situations, you know, and other various structures. And I think over time, it has grown from sort of like a cottage industry to a point where in, you know, 2021, we saw 130 billion in secondary transactions in private markets in general. Venture secondaries as such is a much younger asset class. We we saw, you know, Industry Ventures um, was one of the pioneers in the industry established in year 2000. What they started with was really taking over LP stakes and stapling them with primary commitments and evolved into a much larger platform that does a bunch of other types of transactions. I would say, you know, the key difference between private equity and VC is that we look at smaller portfolios with more positions, but they're smaller. And obviously, you know, while they while they may be revenue generating, it's uh, it's a little different because most of these companies aren't really profitable. And over time, we have seen the space, you know, evolve in a very similar way as private equity, starting from direct company transfers to LP stake transfers. And now it's it's a it's a vast array of, um, you know, many types of transactions that you can do in the secondary space in VC. What I would say right now, uh, there are several established players in the States, several players in Europe, and a couple of players in Asia, namely Southeast Asia, but the space is still very much emerging. But the space is, as you rightly pointed out, is about to explode because over the past 20 years, we've seen that the amount of capital raised by venture capital per annum has increased you know, by over 10x. So definitely a hot sector in the VC space. Fantastic. Can you tell us, like, how does your daily work look like? How does the market function? Like, give us an end-to-end -end overview of, I source the deal, where do you source the deal? What are you looking at in particular? Maybe where are you even pitfalls? And what is your vision? It's like, how do you sell this? And how do you actually make money after all being a secondary fund in terms of time, in terms of return expectation, anything which you want to throw in there? Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, if compared to a primary venture capital fund, the key difference is the products that we buy. So in primary VC, we have common equity, pref equity, venture debt. So in secondary space, we can buy you know, either of those, or we can, you know, do a, a mixed type of transaction. In terms of transaction types, there are tender offers where you're going out and actively sourcing these uh, shares. There are direct secondaries. We're looking at continuation vehicles for end of fund life situations and venture capital fund and more complex structured transactions. In terms of sourcing, I think uh, in secondaries, there are two types of funds out there. The first fund would be very targeted approach where they have a list of companies that they're targeting, price ranges that they're looking for. So it's very much target driven. 
And then there's the second approach uh, to the secondary sourcing, which is very much situational. And there you have to become the player in the market that everyone approaches when there is a need for liquidity. There may be, you know, GPs raising a new fund and need to show distributions from the previous fund. There may be GPs, uh, and as we discussed in some of the breakout rooms, that have difficulties with LPs, so they're problematic or distressed LPs who are not able to meet their capital call commitments. Or there are founders out there, right, who are looking for liquidity to buy a house, get married, put their kids through college, or scoop up some additional secondary shares in their own company, right? You want to be the first call. And I think, you know, we are at I Pacific going for the second one. It's really most of our investments are opportunity driven and, and, and the sourcing really is, uh, really is situational. In terms of holding period, we are coming in later in the venture game, right? So when you're looking at a typical early stage, you know, primary VC fund, 10 to 12 year fund life, and most of the exits happen towards the end of that, right? Here in the secondary space in VC, we're looking at two to four, two to five year hold periods, really shortening that uh, J curve also for our investors. What's important to mention, most of these secondary funds, unless you are a very specific fund that's bought, that buys large minority stakes or even majority stakes, we are a passive financial investor, which means we don't take board seats. We don't uh, actively get engaged into the companies. And that's also something that we have to take into account into our diligence process is that if things go south, we have generally very limited ways, you know, how we can help the company because we're not a primary investor. So there, you know, the structures come in and all that. In terms of exits, um, if it's a portfolio transaction where the manager stays in place, we just stay with that manager and, and, and the manager, you know, manages the exit for us. If we hold shares or portfolios directly, then, you know, it's uh, it's similar to any other investor. We can either wait for these companies to exit in their natural, you know, course of time or we, or, or we do another uh, secondary sale. Where we make our money is really pricing the deals correctly and uh, structuring the deals correctly. And, you know, as you normally would, doing the portfolio construction in the right way, as any VC investor would do. I, well, I have a question there. So me as a VC, obviously, I, I can create multiple edges, which I can sell to portfolio companies, especially in the early stage. So for us, I can add value, can have a very strong follow-on network, I can be a branded VC, there's multiple ways. How can you build a particular edge as a secondary VC? You're going out, the market is heating up, there's lots of competition, there's some fillets out there everybody's going after. How do you actually win allocation? Is it just depending on the discount or the price you're paying, whether it's a premium or like a smaller discount than others? How do you position yourself to be the one people go to first before they offer it to all the other prominent secondary investors out there? Great question. So I think... What's happening in the secondary market right now? We have seen boatloads of new brokers appearing in the market, uh, boatloads of new, you know, smaller secondary funds appearing in the market, and all of them initially compete for this space where they bid for bid at discounts for particular names. It creates uh, quite a bit of issue in the market overall because you know nobody wants to be seen as a seller, nobody wants to take a discount, nobody wants to mark down their portfolios. And for any shares that you sell as a founder or a GP, you give up 100% of the upside, right? The question is, how do you do it in a smarter and more elegant way that's friendlier to the counterparty? And I think that's where, that's where you can win. 
being the player where you can say, okay, we are actually creative. We will help you structure around this situation, whatever they may, that may be. Um, if Even if the real price is, you know, 50% down from where the last round was, there are still ways to structure it in a nice way for a counterparty that um, they don't have to take this markdown. It can be a financing against an asset or it can be any other structure. I think that's really you know, being the creative force in the ecosystem, as opposed to simply bidding at a discount for the assets. I think that's, you know, at least that's what helped us to grow quite substantially over the past couple of years. Makes a lot of sense. Question right here. So what are the biggest pitfalls and toughest challenges for both sides? So where do you lose money or make money in the structuring of the deal? And what would be the advice from the person you're buying from, whether it's a fund or a founder or I don't know, any kind of shareholder, what should you be eyeing on before actually considering or executing a secondary transaction? Fantastic. So I think as always in investing, when the times are good, there are not that many things you have to be worried about. You just worry about your you know, portfolio concentration. How am I tracking vis-a-vis benchmarks? How am I tracking vis-a-vis my you know, targets as a fund? It's all great. Also, you know, for our counterparties, for founders, it's easier to raise capital. For GPs, it's easy to raise capital. Then the things turn, right? Public markets are down, IPOs are shot, SPACs are not coming back for the next 15 years, and the cost of financing for MA is rising. So that activity is down, fundraising is down. What happens then, right? For us as a secondary investor, the key pitfalls to avoid are obviously uh, diligence and pricing. I think all of us have been approached by various uh, you know, secondary brokers and opportunities offering, hey, Florida at a 70% discount to last round, or this and that, you know, food delivery startup 90% discount to last round, which sounds like an amazing deal, you know, at the surface. However, you really need to understand what does the capital structure look like, right? How much pref is there on top of the common shares that I'm buying? Maybe 90% down really is a fair value for those shares, and I'm not getting uh, you know, any discount, really. The second thing is, for us, it's uh, access to information. All of these companies are private. Uh, access to information is limited unless we're doing like a really big transaction. And then the third thing for us, and I'll move on to the, to, to the counterparties, is really understanding that if even if we're getting a good deal price-wise, if market keeps turning and it goes south even more, there's very limited ability for us to influence anything. As I said, we're we're a passive financial investor. Therefore, we have to be really careful about structuring and how we, how we go about that. When it comes to the other side of the table, if you're a founder or if you're a GP and you're looking for liquidity, you know, in, in, in most cases, there are other things than price that you have to be considering. Number one, it is um, the types of shares that you're selling or the types of shares that you own, right? You have to bear in mind that different types or classes of shares may and probably do have different price levels. So be sure about what you're selling and what how to price that. Uh, the other thing is, what do you look like in the market? If you're a founder selling 40% of your stake, what does your board say? What do your shareholders say? If you are a lead investor in a startup and then two years later you sell out 100% of the position, what does that say about you as an investor in the market? And then purely from a governance perspective, 
even if you you know uh, sign a deal with an investor around a particular set of commercial terms, how do you get that transaction executed? Where people most uh, often trip up is right of first refusal and preemption rights and all the other you know shareholder and board approvals that need to go through. Therefore, while secondary transactions seem like uh, you know a very easy thing to do in practical, you know, you know, if you account for all practicalities, you know, it's it's a little bit more complex, and there are a few things to uh, consider. Fantastic. So as we're running out of time, I have one particular last question, which is uh, rather directly about you guys and how you operate. How do you construct your portfolio looking at uh, common preferred stock investments or secondaries, limited partnership interest or derivatives and structured loans? Just give us a brief idea. Is it 50%? Is it 30%? How do you balance and manage risk accordingly? Absolutely. So, you know, our target is about half and half portfolio transactions and single company deals. Almost all of our deals are structured unless it's a repeat investment into a particular asset where we're open to something a bit more vanilla. And um, while in 2021, we saw about 80% of the deals that were coming through were founder deals, the tide is now turned and it's more uh, portfolio transactions because GPs are having a harder time, you know, raising capital without showing DPI. And how we think about it is we have a target geographic allocation uh, with focus on uh, US, Europe, and then a little bit of Israel. And then, you know, there's a particular allocation for Southeast Asia as well. And then sector-wise, we're not really limited uh, to that. Uh, so it's mostly about portfolio transactions and single company deals and how good of diversification uh, we have within our funds. Really cool. Christoph, thank you very much. It was very, very insightful. And I hope we have some extra time on the Q&A to answer some deeper question on anything uh, which people like to hear. I don't see any at the moment. All right. I'm, I'm going to start with a, with a tricky one for, for you. What's the biggest screw up? What's the worst deal you have done because of either you've done something wrong or you have evaluated the market completely wrong? Yeah. So I think uh, on, 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 uh, I think we're, we've, we're still lucky uh, in a way that we, haven't really realized the loss on any of our on any of our investments so far. So you know, touch wood that uh, that continues. But definitely, the 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 recent market downturn has had an impact in our portfolio. While there are certain positions that we have marked down, you know, in Q4 we also saw quite a bit of uh, upticks. So that's that's you know sort of overall you know positive for our portfolio. But when it comes to when it comes to uh, some of the uh, you know worst deals that we have done or uh, some of the worst performers in our portfolio, I think there has been a little bit of that 2021 optimism and shoot for the stars approach when you know we were very happy to get allocations in great companies and perhaps um, you know overlooked some of the risks that were there or overlooked you know or didn't really uh, totally appreciate uh, the uh, potential impact of the downturn. Because we saw great investors coming in, good valuations, good numbers, and uh, you know that 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 sort of uh, made us look in the other direction, and we're, we're we're now seeing consequences of that. So there are a couple in our portfolio, but um, the vast majority is holding up pretty well. That's that's the answer I've been expecting. So let me ask you the opposite, or not the opposite, but another interesting one. What what's the hall of fame of deals you have not done? So which deals did you pass on, which you should have done, which turned out to be very very good. Yeah, definitely. So there are a few. I think there are definitely a couple in biotech that we 
were seriously considering and ended up not doing. Uh, so we saw a company that we on in 2020 that grew uh, 10x from uh, from then. And I still believe that you know, based on the information that we had, we made the, we made the right decision. We have had a couple of uh, you know a little bit controversial ones where there's a, a bit of a you know conflict in the in the at the IC level as to whether or not you know this this company is on trend or or it isn't, and that was uh, in relation to a you know gaming fintech uh, startup in Southeast Asia, which obviously you know we 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 didn't invest. A year before NFTs and everything exploded, and then you know, it, it it within one round it went from sixty million in valuation to, to over two billion. So that's one that we that we definitely missed out on. But we have a little bit of exposure through a portfolio transaction that we did earlier. So that's a good story you can tell in the bar. So I, I, as I said, I have many looking at the market right now. What what kind of discounts are you actually seeing right now? Looking at funds on the one hand and looking at direct secondaries on the other. What's the average? What are others applying? What are you applying? Whatever you want to disclose to give everybody a feeling what's actually happening in the market and how how desperately people are looking for liquidity or not desperately depending on the asset. Yeah, uh, really depends on the asset. So that's that's a good uh, you know a good point you're making. I would say you know uh, these uh, hype driven unicorns where that you know last round that they raised was uh, you know sometime in 2021. Conversations start at 50% down, right? Unless they have you know 100% performed to the business plan that they you know were were envisaging earlier. So that's so that's where conversations start there. Companies that are raising throughout 2020 uh, are able to raise in early 2023. Uh, definitely, we're seeing much smaller discounts, right? And and there we're talking about only the discounts that you're applying because you're buying common shares versus the latest uh, versus the latest pref. So uh, you know, five, ten, fifteen percent discounts for some of our portfolio companies we're seeing. You know, where 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 secondaries are trading. Portfolios, uh, it's a different, uh, you know, it's a, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting space. Uh, definitely, there also, you know, thirty to fifty percent uh, is is no longer uncommon, uh, versus you know twenty percent, twenty five percent standard secondary discount that we saw earlier. All right, very very interesting. So, um, one one thing I would personally really like to understand is like, how, how what are your top five criteria looking at a direct secondary deal? So for me, as an early stage investor, I can give you lots of things we're looking at and lots of things we would love to see. But usually we try to build conviction along the way. And based on the conviction, we usually invest as long as it's within our thesis and our criteria catalog. What's most important for you looking at a deal? What are red flags and what are the hard facts you have to see in order to, to be convinced enough to kind of put a, I don't know, seven digit plus check? Yeah, absolutely. So we generally uh, look for Series B and Series C companies. We can enter before Series B if there's a if there's a good opportunity there, and what that means is that there is a good revenue stream that's growing. There's good recurring revenue there. We pay a lot of attention to unit economics. We don't invest in businesses with uh, negative unit economics at gross margin level. That's one thing. These businesses don't have to be profitable, but they have an idea of what profitability look will uh, looks like and when it will they will be EBITDA positive. Uh, we look for market leaders within a particular region or within a particular niche. And then we have to make sure that uh, investors around the cap table, not only they're great investors per se, but also within the funds that they invested from in the, this particular company, they have excess capital to support this business 
you know, if there is if there is a downturn, because our mandate doesn't really allow us to do so. So we have to be comfortable that either these guys have enough cash runway to get to cash flow positive without raising additional capital, or there's plenty of interest in the market or plenty of people around the table currently that are able to uh, they're able to support that. That's in terms of what we're looking for. In terms of red flags, we haven't really invested in any cloud kitchens in Latin America, 10-minute food delivery stuff. <laughs> You know, micro mobility is, uh, is is a question mark for us. Uh, anything that there's so much uh, capex going on and uh, very little outcome at the moment, or very you know deeply negative um, unit economics at gross margin level, that's something that we simply do not touch. It's it's totally in line on how I see the world. But then more interestingly, is there any particular vertical or industry you're really excited about? Looking at space, looking at AI, looking at health or biotech, whatever. Uh, is there something where you say? As a secondary fund, this is something we believe in the next five years will just go through the roof unattached to how the market environment is looking like right now. Yes. So from uh, from investment perspective, various uh, software as a service verticals are something that we're excited about. Again, it, it has a good growing and predictable revenue streams when you talk about B2B customers, especially. Within that, we're particularly excited about two investments that we have done recently. Uh, Builder AI, that's AI-enabled uh, software development platform that's growing like uh, crazy uh, globally, and uh, Behavox, which comes from a uh, which comes from a vertical of monitoring of electronic communications within large financial institutions. Right, we see a lot of fines since 2008. Banks are not do not have you know good risk policies in place, and 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 these these two businesses are addressing you know very important. Uh, areas of uh, for these business clients. So these are two things that we're particularly excited about. And I guess I think that's a good place to end it. If you if you have any B two B SaaS AI secondaries uh, in a in a in a company going gangbusters at the moment, I'm sure you'll be able to find Kristaps uh, and Iron Pacific. Any final words from you two before we sign off tonight? For me, thank you everyone for hosting uh, Travis and Mark. It's been a real pleasure speaking here today. And everyone, thank you so much for joining. Thank you again. From my end, just a brief thank you. It was a pleasure as usual. And uh, thank you very much for the great answers uh, for me again. I, I learned a lot and I think it's you're in the right space at the right time. So you're going to have some fantastic years ahead of you. Yeah, let's circle back in a year and see, what, see where you what's happened. <laughs> Brilliant, guys. All right, thank you, everyone. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening, and a special thanks to our partners. SkyTrain wouldn't be possible without the funding from the European Regional Development Fund and the Berlin Senate Department for Economics, Energy, and Public Enterprises. A special thanks as well to our partners at the Berlin Business Office USA. You can find them online at www.berlinoffice-usa.com and us at siliconalee.com skytrain. That's silicon, A-double-L-double-E dot com slash Skytrain.